Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. How you doing? All right. Well, as Jeff said, yes, my name is Todd, and it is an honor to be here this morning, and uh, I think this is the fifth or sixth time I've actually spoken at Renaissance, first time up here, so this is pretty cool, um, but Jeff normally calls on me to do the topics that he really doesn't want to cover, so we're going to talk about giving today. No, we're not. No, we're not. Um, but it is an honor to be here, and... Um, I used to do this every Sunday, and uh, now not so much anymore, about once a year, twice a year maybe. But uh, it's good to be here and kind of uh, brush off those old skills. Um, I want to begin this morning really just to dive right in um, by asking you a couple of questions. These are two questions that were formulated actually back in the 70s as a witnessing tool to kind of help people just get right to the heart of what their relationship with God, with Jesus, is really all about. Um, It was developed by a Presbyterian pastor down in uh, Florida, and um, it's just two questions that I I don't want you to answer out loud to these questions, but I do want you to seriously consider how you would answer both of these questions. The first one is this. If you were to die tonight, today, on your way home from here. Are you absolutely certain that you would go to heaven? The second question is a little bit like it, but a little different. If you were to die, and you were to stand before God, and he was to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? what would your answer be? What I'm going to talk about today has everything to do with your answer to those two questions. So before we talk more about it, let's, um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are in this place. We acknowledge your presence here, and I pray that you will empower everything that is done and allow people to hear your message from your words, whether I say the words or not. That's really all that matters in the next few moments. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, Jeff began his message um, with a quote from Exodus uh, 34. It was a quote by God about God and what he's really like. And so Jeff, after reading this, then took one of those and spent his time talking about that subject. This was what he talked about. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Then Jeff talked about his faithfulness. What I want to talk about is another one of those words, the word gracious. 
or maybe a shortened version of that is just the word grace. What does that mean? What does it mean that God is gracious and how does it apply to me and to you? Probably your first exposure to the word grace uh, probably came in a song. You know the song, right? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a what? A wretch, a wretch like me. Uh, whenever my wife and I hear that song, we automatically think of uh, a worship leader by the name of Ron Canoli. Many, many years ago, he was leading a worship service and they sang that song, Amazing Grace. And in the middle of the song, he stopped the whole worship experience and he said, you know, when I was a little boy and I was growing up at whatever church, you know, that he was at, we would sing that song and we'd get to that part and it would say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he said, and I would look over to my mama and say, mama, what's a wretch? Are you a wretch? Am I a wretch? And she'd say, shut up and sing. What's a wretch? Are you a wretch? Am I a wretch? Well, it's the grace. It's amazing grace that saved wretches like us. The Bible talks about two different words that are then translated grace. One in Hebrew, one in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the word uh, in the Old Testament is the word ken. K-H-E-N. And you can't just say it like, you know, the guy's name, Ken. You got to kind of hock it up a little bit. So you got to say, Ken. That's the Hebrew word for grace or favor. And Ken is most often used as a word to describe a gift given with delight or favor. The idea was, is that when someone of a low status someone down here, asked to be treated favorably with delight or with grace by someone of higher status, they were asking for chen. So giving a gift of favor is chen because it's motivated by delight. And, screen please, the most extreme kind of chen, chen, is someone of higher status showing favor to someone of lower status who should get what they deserve, not a generous gift. 47 times in the Old Testament, someone of higher status shows favor to someone of lower status who should get what they deserve, not a generous gift. Kings would offer hen to their subjects. Brothers would offer hen to their brothers. God would offer hen to screw-ups, sinners, and misfits who don't deserve it at all. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word that is most often translated grace is the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's where we get the word charisma. Charismatic comes from the word charis. And the one person in the New Testament that grace or charis is used to describe is Jesus. 
In John's gospel, in the very beginning, before he even begins telling stories about this Jesus and what he did and the life that he lived, the death that he died and the resurrection that gives us life, before he says any of that, John says these words. John 1 verse 14, and the word, that was Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of what? Grace, full of charis and truth. This Jesus, says John, was full of grace, full of favor, of delight and kindness, and was expressing it to misfits, folks of lower status like us, who don't deserve it. Later on, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, a guy by the name of Paul um, was a missionary and he planted churches all over uh, that region. And he's writing a letter to some of his best friends in a town called Ephesus. And he begins to kind of explain a little bit about this chorus, this grace. Let me read this one to you. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, words on the screen. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By what? By grace you have been saved. Paul says this rich in mercy, great in love God takes spiritually dead people and makes them alive. How? By charis, by grace, by chen. God's favor, God's delight, giving not what we deserve, but what we don't deserve. By that, says Paul, we have been saved. Now, back there in Ephesians, in the fourth verse, he uses an interesting word. But God being rich in mercy... He uses the word mercy, and then later on he says, but we are saved by grace. Do you understand the difference between mercy and grace? It's subtle, but there is a difference. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Have you ever been in a situation where as you're driving down the road, um, maybe a little late for an appointment or work and you're going a little bit over the speed limit and as you're going down the road, you notice a police officer in his car right there. Okay? And you see them and, yep, they got the radar gun out and they are watching you and they are pointing it at you. And have you ever noticed how spiritual people get right then? Oh, God, please, 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 please. <laughs> I swear I'll never speed again if you just let this go. And yeah, we've all been there. Well, let's say, unfortunately, this day, uh, no, he pulls out and he follows you. And he turns on his lights or she turns on her lights and uh, pulls you over. What goes on in the next few minutes? I'm going to share with you three different scenarios of what could happen and how that relates to this. Let's say the police officer walks up to the car, you roll your window down and says, are you aware that you were going 15 miles over the speed limit? 
You broke the law, therefore it is my responsibility as an officer of the law to write you a ticket. Sorry. We could take that scenario and define that, or we could say that would be called justice, right? You broke the law, you did something wrong, you pay the consequence. That's justice. That's number one. Same scenario, situation number two. Let's say the police officer walks up to the car, you roll the window down, you've gone 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, but then the police officer says to you, but you know what, I'm having a really good day today. And instead of writing you a ticket, I'm simply going to give you a warning. Now, you deserved to be punished, correct? You broke the law. There should be consequences. But this guy or gal is having a really good day, and so they're going to instead just give you a warning. That situation, first is justice. Second, that would be called mercy. You deserve to be punished, but you weren't. That's mercy. Third scenario, same situation as before. You're going 15 miles out of the speed limit. You should be punished. You should at least get a warning or a ticket. But this time, the police officer looks at you and says, you know what, I'm having a really good day today. And instead of a warning, instead of a ticket, I'm just going to let you go. And as a matter of fact, on, on, as you leave, um, he reaches in and he pulls out a $20 bill and hands it to you and says, here, go have lunch on me. You know what that's called? That's grace. That's grace. Mercy should be punished, and I'm not. Grace says, I should be punished, but I get a gift of something I never even deserved. That's the difference between mercy and grace. Not what you deserve, but the gift of something that you didn't. Let me read you something that this Paul also, he went on in Ephesians to say this. He said, chapter two, verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, through charis, him, a gift given with delight. You've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the what? It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. So here it is. Charis, grace, ken, is the undeserved, unmerited, unconditional, unpayable, no fine print, no strings attached, love and favor that God has for you right now and is displayed to you right now in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, on your behalf. Folks, that's it. It's that simple. It's that free. It's that extravagant. It's that amazing. And see, this is where, in many ways, Christianity, the followers of Jesus, is very different than any other kind of man-made human system of religion. Let me show you what I mean. You can summarize... Any man-made system of religion in one word, two letters. 
and I would spell it D-O. Any other religion in the world is favor of God or whomever is based on what I do. I have to be good enough. I have to earn it. I have to deserve it. If you do this, then he loves you. If not, not so much. But Christianity, on the other, on the other hand, can be summarized in one word, four letters spelled D-O-N-E. It's not on the basis of what I do, but what has been done for me. That's the difference. So let's go back to the questions that I asked you in the very beginning. And I'll give you how I would answer those questions. If I was to die tonight, am I absolutely certain that I would go to heaven? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Last breath here, first breath in heaven. No questions. Second question. If I was to stand before God and he was to say to me, why should I let you into my heaven? What would I say? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, not on the basis of what I do. You don't work for it. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's not what I do. And it's not a little bit of me and a little bit of Jesus. It's not the Jesus plus plan. It's all him and it's free. It's a gift. Let me show you another place where Paul talks about this grace and how it comes to you and me. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Paul's writing this letter to a traveling companion of him named Titus, who now finds himself on an island in the Mediterranean called Crete. And he says this in verse 3 of chapter, verse 4 of chapter 3. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Do you hear that? It's a Bible. It says not by works done by us, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Don't you just love how he lavishes us with this love and favor and delight? And he says, he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified, don't let that word scare you, the word justified basically means just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never done anything wrong. He says, so that being justified by his what? His grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And when, that, when Paul uses that word hope, in the original word, it does not mean like, well, maybe, could be, I don't know, I'm not so sure. The word he uses there that gets translated hope is absolute, positive, complete assurance. The hope, the assurance of life eternal. So why am I bringing this to your attention? What's the big deal about all of this, right? Well, here's why. Because it's one thing that I don't think we can ever assume that everyone in a room this size with this, these many people know and understand. Here's when I learned that a very long time ago. When I was in college, uh, my second two years of college, I attended a Christian college. 
And I was talking to a young lady one night about these very things, about heaven and grace and gift and salvation and Jesus and what he's done. And as we were talking, at one point, you could kind of see there was a little bit of confusion in her eyes. And finally, she looked at me and she said, you mean doing good things doesn't get you into heaven? And she said, you know, I, I know about Jesus, but I, I thought you had to do good things to get in. I thought you had to do good things too to, to get into heaven. And I said, no! Now understand, this girl had been in church her entire life. Her dad was a pastor. And she never understood that heaven Forgiveness, salvation is a free, undeserved gift given to people who don't deserve it by a God who just has this thing for us. To assume that everyone in the room understands that can be a very dangerous thing. Nobody Nobody can be good enough. Nobody can do enough good to earn it. And here's why. Paul, to, in his letter to the Romans, he put it this way. Maybe you've heard this before. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, not sins, just one. One sin disqualifies you. And the wage, the penalty, the payback for that is what? What's it say? Death. And I'm pretty sure that none of us here this morning would be arrogant enough to say, well, I haven't sinned. Yeah, we know we have. We know we have. But I think, I don't know, instinctively, maybe we all have this mental, or yeah, mental scale. You know the scale? The scale that says, well, I know I've done bad things, but maybe if I just do enough good things, maybe I'll balance it out, and in the end, God will love me and allow me in, and the answer to that is no, no, no. There's nothing in the Bible about a scale. There's nothing in the Bible about balancing it out, because here's the thing, there's no assurance in that. There's no peace in that. There's no confidence in where I stand with God in that at all. And that's not how he would have any of us live. So what did he do? Well, he sent his one and only son to pay the wage, pay the penalty, make the payback for my many sins and yours. And he offers that to you and to me as a free undeserved, unmerited, unconditional, unpayable gift. That's it. Many years ago, um, many years ago, I got a Christmas card in the mail from my pastor. This was the pastor that baptized me, that confirmed me, he ordained me, he was, if you will, my spiritual father for the beginning of my life. And he sent me a Christmas card. And on that Christmas card, on the very front of it, was what appeared to be one single drop of blood. 
And on that Christmas card over the blood, it said this. He came to pay a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could never pay. He opened a card up and said, Merry Christmas. Folks, that's Christmas. That's Easter. That's every day. He paid it for me. He paid it for you. It's enough. It's paid in full. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he was on the cross and the very last thing that he said, three words in English, it is finished. That word actually, when he spoke it in Aramaic, is one word. The word is tetelestai. And that word was an accounting word that meant literally paid in full. So if something was paid in full, it would be stamped to tell us die. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. He paid our sin debt in full and said, complete. It's finished. It's paid. See, here's the thing. We don't have to appease God. We don't have to bargain with God. Have you ever done that? Oh God, please, if you'll just, you know, this, then I'll. No, we don't have to pay God back for what we've done. It's finished. Here's the thing. Please hear me when I say this. God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He could have. He could have been. I mean, he sees the stupid things you do. He sees the stupid things I do. He could have been mad, but he's not. Because every ounce of anger, every ounce of wrath and judgment and punishment that could have and should have been taken out on me and on you, he took out on Jesus. God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. And by the way, he's not surprised by anything that you do. And he loves you just the way you are. Do you believe that? That's grace. A theologian, modern theologian, put it this way, we cannot earn what we've always had. What we can do is trust that what God keeps insisting is true about us is actually true. I think the first or second time that I spoke at Renaissance, I told this story, and um, I'm going to tell it again because it's a good story, and it's a story about my dad. And it's a story that I tell at every funeral, pretty much I've ever done. And it kind of means a lot to me today because I just told this story at my dad's graveside back in November. And it's a story about my dad and I and a breakfast that we had together one day. We were meeting with a group of guys kind of doing a, a Bible study. And as the um, Bible study was ready to break up, people were just kind of sitting around and chatting and finishing their coffee. And unbeknownst to me, my dad got up from the table and he took my, my check, my bill. And he took it up front and he paid for his and he paid for mine and he walked out. I didn't know he'd done that. So a little bit later, as I'm getting ready to leave, I look for my check, and I can't find my check. And I can't find the waitress. She's not there. So it's like I finally give up, and I just walk 
to the counter and I said, I can't find my check and I can't find my waitress. So I had the, you know, breakfast special and coffee. What will I owe you? And she looked at me and she said, you don't know a thing. I said, what do you mean? She said, that guy that was just here a minute ago uh, and just left, he paid your bill. You don't owe anything. Now, how silly would it be for me to stand there and argue with this woman to pay a bill that has already been paid? And how silly is it for us to try or demand or attempt to pay him for a debt that has already been paid? What love, what grace, what a gift. What a wake of peace that flows behind God's gracious favor and delight. Who needs grace? I do. I need grace. You need grace. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a, you know, thing at the altar or something that, you know, you pray for and you receive. We need grace for life. We need grace for, for living I mean, in a way, everything that we do can and should be a manifestation of God's grace and favor. Let me show you what I mean. One last verse. Romans 5, beginning at verse 1, Paul, again, puts it this way. This is kind of a, now that you've received this, let's look at it. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there it is, peace, confidence. Not me, him. Not what I do, what he's done. Through him, we have gained access by faith into this what? This grace in which we stand. One version says, into this grace in which we now stand. Grace is not a one-time thing. We stand in it. It's the basis of every part of our relationship with God. The beginning, the middle, the end. Every part of our relationship, our faith, our trust, our peace, gratitude, prayer, worship, hearing his voice, reading his word, is all hinged on understanding grace. Grace is the state of being that we stand in, we stand on, we stand up for, and we live in now and forever. It's a state of being, not a state of doing or earning or deserving. This morning, before I came in here, I had this thought and I kind of added it because I thought to myself, you know, if I preach this right this morning, inevitably somebody's going to come up to me and say afterward, so are what you're saying is then that people can just do whatever they want? Right? Because you don't have to be good. You don't have to earn it, right? They can just do whatever they want. And you know what? God's grace is so amazing and it's so extraordinary. You could. But if you really understand grace if you really understand the gift, if you really understand the price that was paid to offer that to you for free, how could you? People used to ask me a lot, um, why did you become a pastor? 
And I had a real simple answer for that. The answer went something like this. I feel like I have been given the greatest gift the world has ever known, the gift of eternal life by my faith in Jesus Christ. Now I have a decision to make. Do I either keep that gift to myself or do I give my life to share that message and demonstrate that message wherever I go? That's why. Chuck Swindoll, maybe you've heard of him, he puts it this way, grace is not something simply to be claimed, it is meant to be demonstrated. And that's what I want to do. Something I used to do at um, weddings, anytime I would have a wedding, I would, um, as the bride and groom are there and best man and maid of honor and everybody's gathered. We're all there. We're all ready. You know, who gives this woman? Yep, dad, sit down. Thank you. Here we are. And before I would say anything, I would always do something like this. I would say, you know, you have worked too hard. You have done too much planning and probably spent too much money to come to this point that you've been waiting for and not enjoy it for at least a couple of seconds. So we're going to enjoy it for just a second. And then I would say to the wedding party and everyone there, on the count of three, we're going to take a great big deep breath and just relax. So here's what we're going to do, me and you, right now. On the count of three, we're going to take a great big deep breath and just relax. Here we go. One, two, three. You feel that? That's grace right there. Relax. He loves you. He loves you. He always has and he always will. You don't have to prove a thing. You don't have to achieve anything. You don't have to accomplish one more thing. You don't have to be enough of anything to rest in God's unconditional, undeserved, acceptance and delight in you. If you are breathing right now, you are loved by God. No strings, no fine print, no exceptions, no conditions. It's a gift. It's free. It's been paid in full. So breathe, relax, chill, and receive God's chen, his charis, his grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, when we really understand how much you love us and what you've done for us, there's really just two words that sum it all up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me the way that you do. Thank you for making it free. And thank you for giving it to me. I pray 
That's our response this morning. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 